Okay, as I've been going over my board review, I've noticed an area that I don't necessarily have the greatest grasp on, but something that can be a little bit important as well and has questions tested on it. And if I knew that if I got some oral board review questions, I'd be in trouble. So I wanted to go over some pulmonary, cardiac, and cancer rehab next. And I'm going to start out with pulmonary rehab. The goals of pulmonary rehabilitation include improvement of cardiopulmonary function, pre uh, prevention and treatment of complications, increased understanding of the disease, increased patient responsibility for self-care and compliance with medical, excuse me, medical treatment, improvement in quality of life, capacity for activities of daily living, and return to work. The benefits of pulmonary rehab include improvement in exercise tolerance, symptom-limited oxygen consumption, work output, and mechanical efficiency. Additionally, exercise increases arterial venous oxygen uh, difference by increasing oxygen extraction from arterial circulation. The reduction in dyspnea and respiratory rate at rest and at various levels of activity. Um, it all, uh, pulmonary rehab also has improvement in general quality of life, uh, decreased anxiety and, depress and depression, improvement in the capacity to perform activities of daily living, uh, the improvement in ambulation capacity, decreased hospitalization rates and reduces healthcare resource utilization. And it also focuses on conditioning peripheral musculature in order to improve efficiency and reduce stress of the heart and lungs. So you need to consider the candidates for pulmonary rehab. Patients who benefit the most from a pulmonary rehab program have at least one of the following. A respiratory limitation of exercise at 75% of predicted maximum O2 consumption. Obstructive airway disease with a forced expiratory volume in one second, less than 2,000 milliliters, or an FEV1 over FVC, which is the forced vital capacity ratio of less than 60%. Um, and restrictive lung disease, or pulmonary vascular disease with carbon monoxide diffusion capacity less than 80% of predicted value. Additionally, motivated non-smokers or patients who have quit smoking and whose activities are limited because of dyspnea are good candidates for a pulmonary rehab program. Cigarette smokers uh, can't benefit from rehab if the role of smoking uh, cessation is emphasized and integrated into the rehabilitation program. Functional evaluation to assess pulmonary disability is recommended prior to starting the program. So certain classifications of um, pulmonary disability uh, include the Moser classification. Um, one would be normal at rest with dyspnea on strenuous exertion. Two would be normal ADL performance with dyspnea on stairs and inclines. Three would be dyspnea with certain ADLs and the ability to walk one block at a slow pace. Four would be dependent <coughs> uh, with some ADLs, dependent with some ADLs, and dyspnea with minimal exertion. Uh, and please note that one to four have no dyspnea at rest. And then five would be housebound, where you have dyspnea at rest. In need of assistance with most ADLs. Though patients with the criteria listed may benefit from rehab, there's no, uh, there are no minimum requirements of lung function to include patients in pulmonary rehab. <coughs> the review of pulmonary uh, physiology, you have control of respiratory function. Voluntary control of respiratory function or respiration originates in the medulla oblongata and descends through the spinal cord of the respiratory tract or to the respiratory muscles. The medulla respiratory center serves to integrate different chemoreceptors. Uh, central chemoreceptors are stimulated by hypercarbia in the cerebrospinal fluid, and peripheral chemoreceptors in the carotid and aortic bodies are stimulated by alterations in the carbon dioxide, oxygen, and pH level of the blood. <coughs> muscles of respiration uh, include active muscles during inspiration, such as the diaphragm, which is the primary muscle of inspiration, innervated by the phrenic nerve. Um, the diaphragmatic contraction increases the volume and decreases the intrathoracic pressure in the thoracic cavity. 
This resulting decrease in intrathoracic pressure relative to atmospheric pressure results in inhalation. Accessory muscles of respiration primarily of use during exertion or respiratory distress include the sternocleidomastoid, trapezius, pec major, external intercostals, and scaly muscles. And then the muscles active during, uh, or, uh, during active expiration include, um, well, first off, normally expiration is a passive process, but becomes more active during exercise and in certain disease states such as emphysema. And it's primarily uh, your abdominal muscles, which are the primary expiratory muscles, and the accessory muscles are the internal intercostals. You also have active muscles of the upper airway that facilitate airway patency, and they include muscles of the mouth, tongue, uvula, palate, and larynx. There's significant relaxation of these muscles that can lead to airway obstruction during sleep, like obstructive sleep apnea. Causes of acute respiratory failure include severe respiratory infections. A lot of what we're seeing now with COVID is that pulmonary edema, um, diffuse parenchymal injury or lung disease, acute respiratory distress syndrome or ARDS, um, also with COVID, acute pulmonary uh, circulatory failure, like uh, acute pulmonary embolisms, head trauma or medications that can cause dysfunction of respiratory drive, and patients with spinal cord injury uh, with lesions above C3 with diaphragmatic failure. Uh, please note chronic respiratory failure uh, is considered when ventilatory failure exceed, uh, exceeds 30 days. Uh, so pulmonary function tests are important things to remember. The magnitude of functional impairment can be measured using a pulmonary functional test. Respiratory excursions during normal breathing as well as during maximal inspiration and expiration are observed. Evaluation of lung volume changes can be used to classify respiratory dysfunction into obstructive and restrictive pulmonary disease. Lung function definitions are important to remember as well. Vital capacity is the greatest volume of air that can be exhaled from the lung after maximum inspiration. Forced vital capacity is the vital, uh, is the vital capacity measured with uh, the subject exhaling as rapidly as possible. Total lung capacity is the amount of gas within the lungs at the end of maximal inspiration. The tidal volume is the amount of gas in normal uh, resting inspiratory effort. The functional residual capacity is the amount of gas left in the lungs at the end of normal expiration. The residual volume is the amount of gas at the end of maximal respiration. The forced expiratory volume in one second is the amount of air expelled in the first second of the forced vital capacity of the FEC. Maximal mid-expiratory flow uh, rate is the average flow rate between 25 and 50% of forced vital capacity. Maximum voluntary ventilation is the maximum volume ex um, of air exhaled in 12 second periods in liters per second. Maximum static inspiratory pressure is the static pressure measured near re uh, residual volume after maximal expiration. Maximal static expiratory uh, pressure is the static pressure measured near TLC um, after maximal inspiration. And minute volume is the volume of gas inhaled or exhaled per minute. So things to uh, know about this, there is uh, usually a, a chart uh, or diagram that demonstrates um, the respiratory excursions during breathing, uh, including maximal inspiration and maximal expiration that kind of goes through what each of these terms are. There's a, in Cucurillo Volume 3, there's a chart on page 659 that can be beneficial, which is also where you can find all of those as well. There may also be a flow volume loot, uh, loop that you might need to uh, take a look at or review as well. <coughs> maximum, or maximal oxygen consumption. Um, the expired gases during maximal exercise are collected and analyzed for oxygen content. The VO2 max is the maximal volume of oxygen that can be utilized in one minute during maximal or exhaustive exercise. The VO2 max is measured as milliliters of oxygen used in one minute per kilogram of body weight. <clears throat> 
So it can be cal calculated using the thick equation as well. So VO2 max is equal to heart weight times stroke volume um, times the AVO2 difference. And please note that stroke volume, uh, well, never mind, scratch that last part. The individual VO2 max is dependent on body weight, age, uh, peak is usually reached at approximately 20 years of age, sex values for females are approximately 70% of those of males, and inherent genetics, um, which may be the most important. Training or the presence of pathological conditions can affect the potential endurance. Exercise training, um, endurance, excuse me, Training for the uh, presence of pathological conditions can affect this potential, and endurance exercise training increases VO2 max, cardiac output, and uh, physical work capacity of untrained healthy individuals. All right, I want to move on to the classification of respiratory dysfunction. Based on T uh, PFTs, respiratory dysfunction can be classified as obstructive or restrictive. Chronic obstructive pulmonary disease is characterized by increased airway resistance due to bronchospasm, which may result in air trapping, low maximum end expiratory flow rate, and normal to increased compliance. <clears throat> Possible perfusion ventilation mismatch um, results in uh, hypoxemia. Hypercapnia occurs as progressive disease associated with a loss of blunting or hypoxic drive or acute decompensation. <clears throat> and it can be clinically associated with increased airway resistance, impaired expiratory uh, airflow, and, and respiratory muscle fatigue. Flattening of the diaphragm seen on chest x-ray due to increased total and residual lung volumes can also be seen. It occurs in about 20% of all Americans, the fourth leading cause of death in the United States, and 50% uh, have limitations in activity level, and 25% are limited to bed activities. It's caused by a combination of factors. There's a genetic predisposition, respiratory infection, and chemical inflammation, with cigarette smoke being the biggest risk factor, as well as asbestosis can be considered as well. Again, cigarette smoke is the most common cause of COPD. It causes chronic inflammation and decreased mucociliary clearance. Smokers are more likely to die from COPD than non-smokers, anywhere from 3.5 to 25 times more likely. Smoking cessation is linked to improvement in um, symptoms, but there's no improvement in pulmonary function, but there may be decline in rate of loss of lung volume to a rate similar to non-smokers. You have decreased risk of respiratory tract infections as well, and decreased reduction in rate of loss of FEV1 over the long term. So, some, discussing some of the causes of COPD, remember all forms of COPD are um, involve air trapping. Chronic bronchitis is one, where you have chronic mucus hypersecretion and respiratory infections as a result of tracheobronchial um, mucus gland enlargement. Production of greater than 100 milliliters of sputum a day for greater than three months for at least two consecutive years is the uh, definition for this. Emphysema is another one with distension of airspace distal to the terminal non-respiratory bronchioles with the um, destruction of alveolar walls. This is secondary to the unimpeded action of neutrophil-derived elastase. There's a loss of lung recoil leading to excessive airway collapse on exhalation and chronic airflow obstruction. Uh, decreased gas exchange uh, surface of the lung, including alveolar membranes in association with VQ mismatch, causes hypoxemia. You also have chronic increase in pulmonary vascular resistance with the presence of pulmonary tissue hypoxia and can lead to severe pulmonary artery hypertension and uh, right ventricular heart failure. Additionally, oxygen is the only proven therapy to, that improves mortality in hypoxemic patients. So essentially, in chronic bronchitis, you can get air in, but you can't squeeze air out because of all of the... Um, hypersecretion that occurs, and in emphysema, um, you can't squeeze air out because there's not any um, elastic recoil that's going on.
Cystic fibrosis is another one that's an autosomal recessive disease involving the chloride ion channels uh, found in exocrine glands. Uh, respiratory involvement is caused by failure to, to adequately remove secretions uh, from the bronchioles, resulting in widespread bronchiolar obstruction and subsequent bronchiectasis, overinflation, and infection. Aerobic exercise for cystic fibrosis, fibrosis patients helps to increase sputum expectoration. Patients have increased ciliary beat with improved mucus transport. Aerobic exercise also improves exercise capacity, respiratory muscle endurance, and reduces airway resistance by uh, facilitating expectoration of retained secretions. Chest physiotherapy can help to mobilize airway secretions. Asthma is another one with hypertrophy of bronchial uh, muscle, mucosal edema, and infiltration of eosinophils and uh, mononuclear cells. Which, uh, which can cause changes in the basement membrane. Chronic bronchitis can result from asthma. There's episodic widespread narrowing of airways and paroxysmal expiratory dyspnea at night that can occur. So guidelines to assess, uh, to assessing functional limitations based on PFT findings. The magnitude of functional impairment on COPD patients can be assessed using PFTs. When the pre predicted FEV1 is close to four liters, the patient should not have a history of significant um, exercise impairment. Impairment develops when FEV1 falls below three liters per second. FEV1 between two and three, the patient may experience uh, mild exercise limitations, with, um, such as ability to walk significant distances, but not at a high speed. Um, FEV1 between one and two liters, um, the patient may experience moderate degree of exercise impairment, with intermittent rest periods are, are required to walk significant distance or climb stairs. And FEV1 less than one milliliter, or one liter is severe exercise impairment with very short distance ambulation. Restricted pulmonary disease is impaired lung ventilation due to loss of normal elastic recoil of the lungs of the chest wall. Uh, this can uh, be associated with respiratory muscle dysfunction, stiffness of the chest wall, or lung tissue itself, thereby resulting in uh, increased work to breathe. It can be associated with variable levels of hypercapnia and hypoxia. Almost all lung volumes are decreased and flow rates are increased owing to the loss of normal compliance. Some causes of restricted pulmonary disease include intrinsic lung disease with increased stiffness of lung, of lung tissue. Uh, please note the intrinsic lung disease can lead to pulmonary hypertension, right ventricular hypertrophy, and core pulmonale. And some examples include asbestosis, sarcoidosis, silicosis, and idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Extrinsic lung disease includes increased stiffness of chest wall and neuromuscular diseases as well, such as uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, ALS, Guillain-Barre, and myasthenia gravis. Weakness of respiratory muscle impairs uh, the, below, the, the bellows activity of the chest wall, limiting ventilatory capacity and causing hypoventilation, and respiratory muscle weakness causes impaired cough as well. Thoracic deformities can also cause this, like kyphoscoliosis. If scoliotic angle is greater than 90 degrees, patients have dyspnea. If scoliotic angle is greater than 120 degrees, patients present with hypoventilation and may have core pulmonale. Pleural disease, um, ankylosing spondylitis, cervical spinal uh, cord injuries, obesity, and surgical removal of the lung can also cause a lot of this. The ankylosing spondylitis specifically from limited expansion of the chest wall. Some examples of extrinsic uh, restrictive lung disease include Duchenne muscular dystrophy, which again is an X-linked inheritance, uh, X-linked recessive inheritance, and uh, patients present with uh, several respiratory complications, including atelectasis, secondary to hypoventilation, and pneumonia. Chronic alveolar hypo hypoventilation with hypoxemia can cause this. Uh, ventilatory failure, which is essentially progressive weakness of respiratory musculature, causing ventilatory limitations and impaired cough. 
Duchenne muscular dystrophy patients also develop progressive uh, scoliosis, which limits expansion of the chest wall and interferes with respiration. Amyotropic lateral sclerosis, or ALS, is the most common form of motor neuron disease that causes respiratory failure. Respiratory failure usually develops late in the disease and is the most common cause of death. Respiratory muscle weakness causes um, ventilatory limitation and impaired cough. If symptoms begin with limb weakness, the disorder may progress to uh, respiratory failure in two to five years. Spinal deformities such as kyphoscoliosis, uh, severe kyphoscoliosis limits expansion of chest wall, reduces lung volumes, and compromises respiratory muscle efficiency. If scoliotic angle is greater than 90 degrees, again, patients often complain of dyspnea, and if it's greater than 120, uh, patients uh, may develop overt hypoventilation and coropulmonary. Again, ankylosing spondylitis, there is significant, or there's physical limitation to the chest wall expansion, secondary and ankylosing process. And uh, cervical SCI diaphragm is innervated by the phrenic nerve, C3 to 5. And if there's a spinal cord trauma sparing phrenic nerve innervation, um, it leaves the diaphragm function intact and adequate ventilation may be sustained. Lesions above C2 that are complete result in loss of function of intercostal muscles. And all the lower cervical and high thoracic cord lesions leave diaphragm function intact. They eliminate intercostal and abdominal muscle function, severely impairing cough mechanism. These patients have difficulty clearing secretions and ventilatory failure can ensue. Lesions above C3 eliminate all uh, but accessory muscle, uh, muscles of breathing and um, residual volume increases in C-spine injury. There is a, uh, a chart on page 664 that goes over the uh, pulmonary function testing. Um, there are some key points here to know are that normal changes that are noted with age include a decrease in vital capacity and the FEV1 among some others. The FEV1 decreases at a rate of 30 cc's a year. Um, there tends to not be a change in the TLC and the PCO2 and there are increases in the residual volume and functional reserve capacity. In restrictive lung disease, um, the key point to understand is that all volumes are decreased. Um, again, several things that cause increased stiffness, ankylosing spondylitis, cervical spinal cord injury, neuromuscular disease, and kyphoscoliosis. The increased stiffness of lung um, can also have pulmonary edema, interstitial lung disease, and increased elastic work of breathing. Again, it's uh, all volumes are decreased. Um, the only difference there is that residual volume is actually increased in cervical spinal cord injury, even though it is more of a um, uh, restrictive type lung, lung disease. And then in obstructive lung disease, um, the key point is that air trapping occurs, and you have limitation in expiration before the air is fully expired. Again, emphysema, cystic fibrosis, asthma, and chronic bronchitis. You can also see flattening of the diaphragm, and with this you have increased airway resistance, expiratory effort, respiratory muscle fatigue, impaired gas exchange as a result of air trapping that leads to respiratory muscle fatigue. You see decreases in the vital capacity, the FEV1, the FBC, in particular, the FEV1 decreases at 45 to 75 cc's a year. And there, there may be increases in residual volume, functional reserve capacity, and total lung capacity. Lung, volumes, uh, lung volume changes in unique medical conditions include tobacco, uh, tobacco use versus normal aging. So normal rate of decrease in FEV1 is approximately 30 cc's a year, and smokers, this is going to increase to two to three times this value. Smokers less than 35 years old can increase lung function if they quit smoking. If a patient is greater than 35 years old and quits smoking, the rate of decline of lung function slows to the normal rate associated with aging, and some improvement in function can occur.
Cervical spinal cord injury, um, patients have restrictive lung disease. Pulmonary changes seen in C5 quadriplegics include diaphragm that remains intact and expiratory muscles are paralyzed. Patients retain approximately 60% of their inspiratory capacity and ventilate well, but have weak cough and difficulty clearing secretions and during, uh, during respiratory infections. All volumes are greatly reduced uh, because of limited, or limited expansion of the chest wall. You have a decreased uh, total lung capacity and vital capacity and increased residual volume. In patients with SCI, the abdominal contents may sag due to the greater strength of the diaphragm relative to the weakness of the abdominal wall. Uh, this, specifically the abdominal wall muscles, this decreases diaphragmatic excursion and the vital capacity in the sitting position. So again, if you sit them up, vital capacity drops. The reduction in vital capacity is most severe in quadriplegics with cervical spinal cord injury and during the acute injury. Severity of reduction increases with higher level of injury. A study by Maloney reported that in the sitting position, the use of abdominal binder improved the vital capacity. And the goal of pulmonary rehab in SCI patients is to increase that vital capacity, so the use of abdominal binder may be needed. Maintain good pulmonary hygiene. Optimize secretion, mobilization, and management. Manage and secrete any, dis any detected dysphagia. Subjectively improve dyspnea as it relates to, um, to patient functional capacity or functional mobility and self-care and reduce average number of hospital stays. Moving on to Duchenne muscular dystrophy, the vital capacity uh, plateaus between 1,100 and 2,800 um, milliliters between 10 and 15 years of age. Independent of chest deformity, the vital capacity is then lost at a race of 200 to 250 mLs a year, and the rate of loss tapers below 400 milliliters. There's no clear guidelines that have been established for determining the point at which ventilatory support should be instituted in patients with DMD, but various studies suggest that uh, you should consider it with dyspnea at rest, 45% of the predicted vital capacity, maximum inspiratory pressure at less than 30% predicted, and hypercapnia. Moving on to ALS, um, routine PFTs, especially functional vital capacity, should be monitored closely in ALS. The earliest changes noted are decreases in maximum inspiratory and expiratory muscle pressures, uh, followed by reduction in vital capacity and maximum breathing capacity. When vital capacity falls below 25 milliliters per kilogram, the ability to cough is impaired, which increases the risk of aspiration pneumonia. Forced vital capacity is the best prognostic indicator for non-invasive ventilation in patients with ALS. Patients may lose vital capacity at a rate of 1,000 milliliters or more per year. Various changes in blood gases, including hypoxemia and hypercapnia, or hypercarbia, um, excuse me, so that's hypoxemia and hypercarbia, to a variable extent can be seen. Hypercapnia may also occur as disease progresses and as functional or as vital capacity decreases. Neurorehabilitation management in the COPD patient um, is multi-stage uh, um, or multifactorial. You want to consider nutritional status evaluation with respiratory muscle weakness is often associated with metabolic deficits. Decreased magnesium, calcium, potassium, and hypophosphatemia are associated with respiratory muscle weakness, which is reversible after electronic placement or electrolyte replacement. Serum albumin level correlates with uh, severity and chronicity of disease. The degree of hypoxemia and spirometric values um, and it, uh, it indicates visceral pro uh, protein depletion and is a good predictor of rehabilitation potential. Protein supplementation equal to or greater than 17 or 1.7 grams per kilogram of body weight per day is associated with an increase in nitrogen retention and physiological improvement. Impaired nutritional status is associated with increased morbidity and mortality. More frequent infections due to impaired uh, cell-mediated immunity curve. In addition, you have decreased macrophage action in the pulmonary alveolar region. 
Um, there's increased bacterial adherence and colonization in upper and lower airways. And pseudomonas species commonly colonize in patients with poor nutrition and a nosocomial infection. Um, pharmacological option, optimization should also be considered prior to rehabilitation program. For dyspnea and to decrease exacerbations of COPD, you may consider inhaled anticholinergics like ipotropium or teotropium, um, which block muscarinic receptors. You can also have short-acting inhaled beta-2 agonists. And note that anticholinergics, for example, ipotropium, can be used alone or added to a regimen of uh, uh, beta-2 agonists. They block smooth muscle uh, muscarinic receptors. Inhaled steroids can decrease the frequency of COPD exacerbations and asthma, but are not useful for acute exacerbations. It is important to instruct the patient on how to administer it, since greater than 60% of uh, use of inhalers are uh, used incorrectly. In patients with severe COPD who do not take inhaled corticosteroids, the oral mucolytic N-acetylcysteine, or mucamist, um, offers a small reduction in exacerbations. It may also use um, expectorants for secretion control. Theophylline has a bronchodilator effect. It decreases diaphragm fatigue, um, increases cardiac output, and improves mucociliary clearance in COPD. Theophylline is no longer considered first-line or second-line therapy for asthma or COPD. It's used limited by potential toxicity. Um, I've never actually seen it used. It's more just when something that we study. Young patients with moderate asthma who have tried beta-2 agonists during exercise as well as mast cell stabilizers or leukotriene inhibitors may benefit from theophylline um, use after exercise-induced asthma or bronchospasm. So exercise-induced bronchospasm is a transient increase in airway resistance that may appear 5 to 15 minutes after initiation of exercise. It's caused by loss of heat, water, or both from the lungs during exercises um, as a result of hyperventilation. Uh, symptoms include cough, wheezing, chest tightness, or pain. Um, you may see upset stomach or sore throat after the first five minutes of exercise. Managements include short-acting bronchodilators uh, with the use of anti-inflammatory agents um, in the event of frequent occurrences taken 15 to 30 minutes prior to starting the exercise. You can also have mast cell stabilizers like chromalin sodium. Um, um, anti-inflammatory agents are effective in 70 to 85% of patients with minimal side effects. Inhaled corticosteroids are the next best step in treatment with suboptimal response to um, and abnormal PFTs um, are obtained. You, you can use for weeks to obtain mass, maximal um, effect. Anticholinergics may become a tertiary agent in exercise-induced uh, bronchospasm. Non-pharmacologic management of exercise-induced bronchospasm includes increasing physical conditioning, warm-up period for at least 10 minutes prior to exercise, covering the mouth and throat during cold weather. Exercise should be performed in a humidified environment when possible. You want to avoid pollutants and um, aeroallergens. The lower level of intensity of exercise can be considered with cool down prior to stopping exercise and do not exercise for at least two hours following a meal. Supplemental oxygen use with low flow nasal supplementation or supplemental oxygen can be used during therapy to reduce dyspnea and improve exercise performance, especially in patients with documented coronary artery disease. Oxygen is recommended for patients who desaturate during exercise. The most accepted guideline is for oxygen, uh, for oxygen use during exercise is if the patient exhibits an exercise-induced um, oxygen level below 90%. The benefit of oxygen in patients without resting hypoxia is questionable. Inspiratory phase or pulsed oxygen therapy, especially if provided tra transtracheally, decreases mucosal um, dry drying and discomfort. Oxygen delivery at 0.25 to 0.4 liters per minute compared to 2 to 4 liters per minute via face mask or nasal cannula, um, although it's rarely employed uh, clinically. Supplemental oxygen use is also recommended for patients with continuous PO2 of 55 to 60 millimeters of mercury. 
The benefits of home oxygen use include reduction of polycythemia, improvement in pulmonary hypertension, reduction of the perceived effect or perceived effort during exercise, prolongation of life expectancy, improvement in cognitive function, and reduction in hospital needs. Cessation of smoking should be emphasized. Uh, additionally, you have training and controlled breathing exercises. COPD patients exhibited an altered pattern of respiratory muscle use. The ribcage inspiratory muscles generate more pressure than the diaphragm. Expiratory muscles are also involved. Controlled breathing um, techniques are used excuse me, are used to reduce dyspnea, reduce the, the work of breathing, and improve respiratory muscle function and pulmonary function parameters. There are different types that may be used in patients with obstructive pulmonary disease and restrictive disease. Techniques to improve pulmonary function parameters include diaphragmatic breathing, which is uh, used to reverse um, altered pattern of respiratory muscle uh, recruitment in COPD patients. Patient uses the diaphragm and relaxes abdominal muscles during inspiration. Lying down or at 15 to 25 degrees or 25% of head down position, the patient places one hand over the thorax below the clavicle to stabilize the chest and the other hand over the abdomen. The patient takes a deep breath and expands the abdomen using the diaphragm. <coughs> Feedback of abdominal ribcage movement is obtained through hand placement as described previously. The benefits of this diaphragmatic breathing include uh, tidal volume, increased tidal volume, decreased functional reserve capacity, and increases in maximum oxygen uptake. You can also consider segmental breathing, which is obstructions such as tumors and mucus plugs. Or excuse me, segmental breathing occurs when obstructions such as tumors or mucus plugs should be cleared prior to practicing this technique. Um, the patient is asked to inspire while the, while the clinician applies pressure to the thoracic cage to resist respiratory excursion in a segment of the lung. If the clinician feels the local expansion, the hand uh, resistance is decreased to allow inhal inhalation. This facilitates expansion of adjacent regions in the thoracic activity and may have decreased that may have decreased ventilation. There's also a technique to reduce uh, dyspnea and the work of breathing, which is uh, pursed lip breathing. Uh, patient inhales through the nose for a few seconds with the mouth closed, then exhales slowly for four to six seconds through pursed lips. Expiration lasts two to three times as long as inspiration. By forming a wide, thin slit in the lips, the patient creates an obstruction to exhalation, slowing the velocity of exhalation and increasing mouth pressure. The benefits are that it prevents air trapping due to small airway collapse during exhalation and promotes greater gas exchange in the alveoli, increases uh, in, th in total volume, uh, reductions in dyspnea and worker breathing in COPD patients have been seen. When added to diaphragmatic breathing, it reduces the respiratory rate and can improve arterial blood gases. And then the, the last step here is our airway secretion management program. So these, again, these are rehab management in the COPD patients. We went through nutritional status evaluation, pharmacological optimization prior to rehab, supplemental oxygen, training and controlled breathing uh, techniques, and now um, airway secretion management programs. First off, we have controlled cough, which is uh, the patient assumes an upright position, sitting position, inhales deeply, holds the breath for several seconds, contracts the abdominal muscles uh, and bearing down with increasing the intrathoracic pressure, then opens the glottis and rapidly and forcefully exhales while contracting the abdominal muscles and leaning slightly forward. This is repeated two or three times and followed by normal breaths for several minutes before attempting controlled cough. Coughing generates high explosive forces, promoting secretion retention, and may exacerbate air trapping. Also, it also leads to fatigue if the cough is weak. Then you also have huffing or huff coughing, which is an alternative to huffing, or what, this is an alternative to the controlled cough, 
which is following a deep inhalation, the patient attempts short, frequent, forceful exhalations by contracting the abdominal muscles and saying, ha, ha, ha. The glottis remains open during um, huffing and does not increase intrathoracic pressure. It's helpful in COPD patients whose airway collapse, or, or who air, airways can collapse. This is a more efficient means of secretion removal. Continuing on uh, with some secretion and mobilization techniques such as postural drainage, percussion, and vibration. Some of the indications here are sputum production greater than 30 milliliters a day, aspiration, atelectasis, moderate sputum production in debilitated patients who are, under, are unable to raise their secretions. Postural drainage utilizes gravity-assisted positioning to improve the flow of mucus secretion out of the airways. The affected lung segment is placed in the highest position relative to the rest of the lung um, to optimize oxygenation and drainage. It's best done after awakening in the morning uh, as secretions accumulate at night and one to two hours after meals to avoid gastroesophageal reflux. Positions for postural drainage, uh, there's a figure of them on page 670, figure 9-4. Uh, however, we're going to go through some of the explanation. A commonly used position is a Trendelenburg position with the feet higher than the head, uh, which can be done with the patient lying supine or prone and differential uh, and different postural variations such as side lying or trunk bending. To drain the upper lobes the patient is positioned sitting upright. Um, the exceptions are the right anterior segment where the patient is placed supine, the lingular lobe where the patient is uh, lateral decubital and Trendelenburg and uh, for both posterior segments uh, the patient is prone. prone. Um, to drain the right middle lobe and lower lobes, the patient is positioned in the lateral decubital Trendelenburg, and the exceptions are the superior segment of the lower lobe, where the patient is put prone with buttocks elevated, uh, the posterior lower segment, where the patient is prone in Trendelenburg position with buttocks elevated, and the anterior segment, which is supine Trendelenburg. Precautions for postural drainage include Trendelenburg position with head down tilt can range from 10 to 45 degrees, but COPD patients can tolerate up to only 25 degrees of tilt. You want to avoid in pulmonary edema, CHF, hypertension, dyspnea, and abdominal problems such as hiatal hernia, obesity, recent food ingestion, abdominal distension. Side length position contraindications include axofemoral bypass graft, uh, musculoskeletal pain, for example, rib fractures, uh, and postural changes can also, um, they can not only help with uh, secretion mobilization, but also affect the work of breathing by changing the mechanical load on the respiratory muscles and the oxygen supply and consumption in these areas. The mechanical load, uh, the pressure change is related to position. The upright position, the abdominal contents remain in low position due to gravity and the diaphragm can compress them easily. In the supine position, it redistributes abdominal contents. The diaphragm is in a slightly longer resting position further up in the end of the thorax. In the Trendelenburg position, the diaphragm is um, at its longest resting position, displaced by the weight of the abdominal contents into the thorax. With progression from the sitting to a Trendelenburg position, the diaphragmatic work of breathing is increased as the abdominal content load increases as well. The diaphragm will accommodate to the increase in load by increasing its con uh, contraction. In obesity, the external load of the abdominal muscles may be greater than the muscle's capacity of contraction. In neuromuscular disease, the muscles may not be able to generate tension against the abdominal content load, requiring changes in po uh, posture uh, to assist in breathing. This is also valid for COPD patients where postural changes can affect the diaphragm, diaphragmatic control response. The weight of the pulmonary tissue also contributes to overall pressure of the most dependent alveoli. The dependent alveoli expand in size when changing from sitting to supine positioning, increasing ventilation at the base of the lung. Uh, blood flow is gravity dependent and the maximal flow is greatest to the most gravity dependent uh, portions of the lung. Upright sitting with ventilation-perfusion mismatch is most effective in the middle lung fields. 
the lower lo lobes of the lungs are preferentially perfused, while the upper lobes of the are prefer preferentially ventilated. The uh, with inspiration, ventilation to the lower lobes increases. In some patients, changing from supine to prone positioning displaces the weight of the abdominal contents, reversing blood flow distribution and uh, to the anterior segments. The difference in blood flow distribution is based on the presence, uh, the pressure affecting the capillaries. The pressure of the surrounding tissues can influence the resistance to blood flow through the capillaries, and blood flow depends on pulmonary artery pressure, alveolar pressure, and pulmonary venous pressure. The perfusion of the lung is dependent on posture. The perfusion of the three-zone uh, model of the lung in the upright position is described in uh, one of these figures, but zone one um, is the ventilation occurs in excess of perfusion. Perfusion, or zone two is perfusion and ventilation are fairly equal, and zone three is where the gross, most gravity-dependent region of the lungs, where pulmonary arteries are greater than pulmonary and venous pressure, and greater than pulmonary alveolar pressure. And it's typically seen from uh, superior to inferior along these zones. Zone one would be more superior, and zone three would be most inferior. Again, pulmonary artery pressure is greater than pulmonary venous pressure, and greater than alveolar pressure. When changing from a sitting to a supine position, venous pressure increases in relation to the arterial pressure in dependent areas of the lung. Blood flow is governed by the pulmonary arterial to, uh, to venous difference. When supine, the apical blood flow increases, but the bases remain virtually unchanged. When uh, there is an almost uniform blood flow throughout the lung. However, posterior segment flow will exceed anterior segment perfusion in this position. The normal ratio of ventilation to perfusion is 0.8. Areas of low ratios with perfusion greater than ventilation act as a shunt. Areas of high ratios act as dead space. Percussion is something else that can be considered. Mechanical percussion or a cupped hand can be used to rhythmically strike the thoracic cage during the entire respiratory cycle to loosen mucus within the lungs. It's delivered at a frequency of 5 hertz for 1 to 5 minutes or longer over the chest area desired to be um, drained. The, uh, it's delivered at, uh, excuse me, used on patients who are unable to mobilize and expectorate excess secretions or to help expand areas of atelectasis. Some precautions include coagulation disorders, anticoagulation therapy, platelet, global, platelet count below 50,000, fractured ribs, flail chest, and severe osteoporosis. And uh, contraindications include cardiovascular instability or failure, aortic aneurysm, increased intracranial pressure, increased intraocular pressure, and cannot do percussion over a tumor. Vibration is rapid shaking back and forth, but not downward, on the thorax over a segment of the lung, causing mucus mobilization. It's applied to the thorax or airway to facilitate secretion and elimination. It can be applied manually or with a mechanical vibrator. Uh, mechanical, uh, the vibrator can be used at frequencies ranging from 10 to 15 hertz up to 170 hertz. Most animal studies favor the 10 to 15 hertz range, however. Uses, uh, it uses very little or no pressure on the thorax and uh, constitutes an alternative in cases where percussion is contraindicated. The effects of mechanical chest percussion and vibration are frequency dependent. Side effects of percussion and vibration can include increased obstruction to airflow in COPD patients. Preoperative and postoperative chest therapy programs can be considered with airway clearance and secretion mobilization techniques can be applied prior to surgery and after the procedure. A preoperative and postoperative chest therapy program has the following advantages. It decreases the incidence of pneumonia and it reduces the probability of developing postoperative atelectasis following thoracic and abdominal surgeries. For preoperative chest therapy programs, the patient is taught standard postoperative treatment, including the use of incentive spirometer and various splinting techniques. Uh, deep breathing 
is taught with a patient in the semi-fowler position in which the abdominal muscles are slack. This allows greater diaphragmatic excursion and most important modality of postoperative pulmonary hygiene is the deep breathing. Uh, rolling allows patient's mobility and minimizes trunk movement. Coughing uh, with a decreased cough effectiveness can result, in, uh, can result from anesthesia. There's a two-stage cough preceded by a deep diaphragmatic breath. The first, uh, first cough raises the secretions and second cough facilitates expectoration. May, uh, may use splinting techniques for coughing, uh, splinting the surgical incision with the use of a pillow or hands. Coughing as previously described, an incentive which provides the patient with visual feedback of the air inspired during a deep breath. Patients uh, practice deep breathe, deep inspiration every hour in addition to their chest physical therapy sessions. Post-operative chest therapy program uh, typically starts on post-op day one with diaphragmatic and segmental breathing are used to assist the ventilator. Uh, breathing exercises are provided. Secretion management techniques include postural drainage, uh, vibration, and percussion. If the patient underwent abdominal surgery, one hand is placed between the incision and the area to be percussed uh, to, de to decrease comfort during uh, the treatment. A pillow over the incision may, be, may also be used. Vibration is preferred uh, postoperatively because it is less traumatic. These treatments are contraindicated in patients with cardi cardiac and hemodynamic instability or, the cases of a or in the cases of a pneumothorax. Some of the therapeutic exercises can also be considered and they're used to um, improve respiratory muscle endurance, strength, and efficiency. Inspiratory resistive loading uh, uses an excuse me, inspiratory uh, muscle trainer. The patient inhales through, an ins uh, through its inspiratory orifice, orifices, which progressively decrease in size. Exhalation is performed without resistance. Treatment is provided one to two times per day for approximately 15 to 30 minutes with a rate of 10 to 20 breaths per minute. If the patient is able to tolerate 30-minute sessions, the intensity is increased by varying the orifice size, and to increase the endurance or and orifice size, a longer exercise duration is chosen. Then there's threshold inspiratory muscle training, where a threshold loading device allows inspiration only after a predetermined mouth pressure is reached. It produces inspiratory resistance without relying on inspiratory flow rates. The benefits include increased ventilatory strength and endurance. Inspiratory muscle training has been proven uh, beneficial in patients with cystic fibrosis, where FVC, TLC, and inspiratory muscle strength have been improved. Inspiratory muscle training has appeared to prevent the weakness associated with steroid use in patients with this type of medication, as documented in one controlled study. In patients with asthma, a reduction in asthma symptoms has been noted in addition to the documented uh, improvement in the inspiratory muscle strength and endurance, a reduction in hospitalization and emergency room visits, increase in school and work attendance, and reduction in medication has also been found. Also, there's instruction on reconditioning exercises. Uh, this type of exercise allows the patient to increase the ability to perform ADLs. The patient is engaged in a progressive program in which he or she is made responsible. Um, activities may include aerobic exercise or conditioning such as bicycle, pool exercise program, walking, stair climbing, or calisthenics. Um, also, range of motion exercises were coordinated with diaphragmatic breathing and upper extremity strengthening exercises. A daily 12-minute walk with a record of time spent and distance achieved, like 15 minutes a day of inspiratory training, is also advised. The 12-minute walk can be used to estimate exercise tolerance. The pulse parameter include increase 
excuse me, pulse parameters include increase of at least 20 to 30% during the activity with a return to baseline within five to 10 minutes after exercise. The program is reevaluated weekly for 10 to 12 weeks and modifications are made along, the patient along with patient education. Upper extremity muscles or ex exercises reduce the metabolic demand and increase ventilation associated with arm elevation and result in dyspnea. Unsupported upper extremity activities produce the most benefits, including decreased oxygen consumption. These types of activities include self-care, lifting, reaching, carrying, and athletic activities. All exercises should be performed to tolerance with symptom limited uh, in subjective dyspnea. Some precautions are to hold the exercise for a heart rate greater than 120 beats per minute. Hold the exercise if the patient has premature beats greater than 6 beats per minute. Um, hold exercise for oxygenation saturation less than 92%. If the patient desaturates during exercise uh, to less than 90%, the patient may use supplemental oxygen to enhance exercise performance. This also protects patients with coronary artery disease from dysrhythmia. Aerobic exercise in patients with cystic fibrosis may include exercises involving the trunk muscles such as sit-ups, swimming, jogging. Patients with cystic fibrosis that participate in a structured running program show significant improvements in exercise capacity, respiratory uh, muscle endurance, and reduction in airway um, resistance. In addition, studies in children with cystic fibrosis have found increased sputum expectoration and an improvement in lung function after several weeks of strenuous regular aerobic exercise. You also want to instruct about energy conservative techniques, and these include paced breathing, body mechanics, uh, advanced planning and prioritizing activities and the use of assistive medical device. You also want to consider muscle rest periods uh, that should be added to the exercise program. You want to monitor hypercapnia as an indicator for the need for rest periods. Uh, ventilatory devices provide relief to tired respiratory muscles, decreasing the energy expenditure. The diaphragm rest can be achieved by assisting ventilation non-invasively with the use of body ventilators, mouthpiece, or nasal intermittent positive pressure ventilation or tracheostomy intermittent positive pressure ventilation. Although assisting ventilation can exacerbate air trapping in COPD patients, the benefits of resting respiratory muscles and decreasing oxygen consumption may otherwise outweigh this, uh, this in importance. In particular, two groups of COPD patients may benefit from ventilator assistance during rehabilitation. These are the medically and psychologically stable patients who require assistance around the clock, usually by tracheostomy route, or patients who need, with need of uh, nocturnal assistance only. Nocturnal use of ventilators support weak respiratory muscles, and potential benefit, benefits include increased vital capacity, respiratory muscle strength and endurance, and decreased need for hospitalizations. Um, some ventilatory assistance Devices for COPD patients include positive pressure airway versus negative pressure air, uh, body ventilators. So positive pressure airway ventilation can be intermittent or continuous or bi-level. Intermittent positive pressure ventilation is the most common method of non-invasive support. Uh, for mouthpiece IPPV, a mouthpiece is set up near the mouth where the patient can easily grab it for six to eight times a minute for full um, ventilatory support. It's an ideal inspiratory muscle aid for daytime use in selected cases. For nocturnal use, possibilities include a nasal in, um, intermittent positive pressure ventilation with CPAP mask, as long as there's an adequate seal, which may be a problem, or um, mouthpiece IPPV with lip seal retention. And again, seal is adequate, but a uh, patient cannot talk. Continuous positive airway pressure, or CPAP, may be used to help maintain patent airways in patients with sleep disordered breathing like obstructive sleep apnea. It produces splinting of the pharyngeal airway uh, with positive pressure delivered through a nose mask. The method prevents uh, desaturation. Uh, Bilevel positive airway pressure or BiPAP permits independent adjustment of inspiratory um, 
and expiratory positive airway pr uh, pressure. That's IPAP and EPAP. Negative pressure body ventilators, or NPBV. Um, we'll go into a little bit of detail in a little bit. Um, but they are used during the day or night and have provided uh, several benefits, including improved respiratory endurance with decrease in, in dyspnea, improved quality of life with a 12-minute walking distance, and improved uh, transdiaphragmatic pressure and maximum inspiratory and expiratory pressures. NPBV ventilators resist respiratory muscles uh, by creating subatmospheric pressure around the thorax and abdomen. NPP, NPBV um, are also an alternative. Again, this is negative pressure body ventilators are also an alternative to intubation and tracheostomy for patients with acute respiratory failure. Now moving on to some of the rehab of the patient with restrictive lung disease. Um, some respiratory complications are the most common causes of death in advanced restrictive lung disease. A major cause of acute respiratory failure for these patients is impaired secretion clearance. Rehabilitation of the, of the patient with restrictive lung disease is based on prevention of complication and assistance, assistance with secretion management. The first important thing to remember is patient education. Uh, patients are, this prevents development of pneumonia, respiratory failure, and subsequent intubation and mechanical ventilation. There's importance of vaccination should be stressed, and these include influenza, pneumococcal, and possible use of antiviral agents. You want to avoid crowded areas or exposure to respiratory tra tract pathogens. You want to avoid sedative and at night, sedatives at night, and the risk of possible aspiration. You want to avoid excessive oxygen uh, therapy. Central ventilatory drive can be suppressed, and the normal hypoxic pulmonary vasoconstriction can be inhibited, leading to a worsening VQ mismatch. These processes can lead to a uh, hypercapnic state, and the risk of respiratory failure can be increased. Uh, studies indicate that oxygen therapy can prolong hypopneas and apneas by 33% during rapid eye movement and by 19% otherwise, even in patients with mild neuromuscular disease. You want to avoid obesity and heavy metals, and uh, you want to develop goals and start planning for the future. You also want to consider maintenance of adequate nutritional state with respiratory muscle insufficiency that can be exacerbated by hypokalemia. Patients with Duchenne muscular dystrophy have decreased uh, total body potassium and commonly develop hyper hypokalemia during acute illnesses. Uh, instruction and controlled breathing techniques. Uh, glossopharyngeal breathing is another one. This is a non-invasive method to support ventilation that can be used in the event of ventilator equipment failure. The patient takes a deep breath and uses uh, the pistoning action of the tongue and pharyngeal muscles to project air boluses into the lung. It's a rhythmic opening and closing of the vocal cords occurs with each air bolus. Each breath usually consists of six to nine air boluses or up to 65, uh, with each bolus consisting of 30 to 150 milliliters of air, uh, usually between 60 and 200 uh, total. It requires intact or pharyngeal muscle strength and the patient should not be uh, tracheostomized, it should not have a trach. Other uses of glossopharyngeal breathing are that it enables the patient to breathe without mechanical ventilation up to four or more hours if the lungs are normal. If lungs are affected, may only tolerate minutes. This time off the ventilator can be used to transfer the patient uh, or to do uh, different types of aids. It improves the uh, volume of the voice and the rhythm of, patient, of, of speech, allowing the patient to shout. It also helps prevent microatelectasis. It allows the patient to take deeper breaths for more effective cough, and it improves or maintains pulmonary compliance. Uh, deep breathing and insufflations. Um, it's a program of air stacking hyperinflations two or four times a day with progressively increased volumes, which helps prevent atelectasis and can benefit the vital capacity. 
There's regular maximum insufflations that can be provided with manual uh, resuscitations, portable ventilators, and mechanical insufflators and exufflators. A mouthpiece may be used, or a nose piece uh, may be pro provided for longer or for larger volumes and when patients have weak oral muscles. Additionally, there are some secretion management techniques like manually assisted cough, where the, where the clinicians or the assisting person's heel of the hand or arm is placed at various sites along the anterior chest or abdomen to provide pressure and is coordinated with the patient's coughing or expiratory effort. The location of the areas of pressure include a Heimlich type or abdominal thrust type uh, or assist where the patient is in a sideline position and pressure is applied at the navel while pushing up on the diaphragm. There's a costophrenic assist where the patient um, is in any position and pressure is applied to the costophrenic ang angles. The anterior chest compression assist where the patient is lying on the side or the three-quarter th three supine position and pressure applied to the upper and lower anterior chest. There's counter-rotation assist with pressure is applied to the pelvis or shoulder during inspiration followed by reversing the pressure direction to compress the thorax and all planes to facilitate expulsion. Suctioning should be done in conjunction with other uh, secretion clearing techniques or when other techniques fail to remove uh, secretions appropriately. It may lead to complications such as airway membrane irritation and bleeding, airway edema and wheezing, hypoxemia, bradycardia or tachycardia, hyper or hypotension, increased intracranial pressure, and only suction as you withdraw the catheter. The chest percussion or uh, postural drainage may also be used. With regards to the mechanical insufflator and exufflator, it's the most effective method of mechanical assistance for secretion clearance in paralyzed patients. A deep inspiration or positive pressure insufflation is provided via a mask or through the tracheal tube, followed by a rapid controlled suction or negative pressure exufflation. Insufflation and exufflation can be done independently or can be independently adjusted. A, uh, a desired decrease in, in pressure from insufflation to exufflation is, is approximately 80 centimeters of water. Um, this may be sustained for two to three seconds, and the duration of exufflation is longer than the other methods of assistance. The decrease in pressure creates flows of approximately 7 to 11 liters per second, helping to bring secretions to the upper airway where they can be suctioned. It can be used in patients with scoliosis, dysphagia, impaired glottis function, and severe upper respiratory tract infections. It allows continued ventilatory support without tracheostomy and improves pulmonary volumes and um, SAO2. And then the use of non-invasive ventilation. Uh, mechanical assisted ventilation provides respiratory muscle rest, decreasing the energy expenditure of the respiratory muscles. Body ventilation includes positive, negative, slash positive, and negative pressure ventilation. So positive, pre positive pressure body ventilations provide positive pressure on the abdomen to assist diaphragmatic cephalad movement, promoting expiration. Passive inspiration occurs after removing the abdominal pressure. Intermittent abdominal pressure ventilation, or IAPV, in, uh, have examples like the pneumobelt and exufflation belt. The, an abdominal corset containing a battery-operated rubber air sac helps to create forced exp expiration by uh, moving the diaphragm cephalad. When deflated, the diaphragm and the abdominal contents fall to, resisting po or to resting positions, resulting in a passive inspiration. It's worn from the xiphoid to above the pelvic arch. Cycles are 40% inspiration and 60% expiration. There are approximately 250 to 1200 milliliters of tidal volume can be provided. Depends on gravity to assist the inspiration and is also effective when the patient is in sitting position. A trunk angle of 75 degrees from the horizontal is optimal, but may be used with 45 degrees in some cases. This is the most useful mode of ventilation for uh, wheelchair-bound patients with less than one hour ventilatory free time during the day. 
Benefits also include liberating the mouth and hands for other activities. It's contraindicated in uh, severe scoliosis and severe obesity, and the patient should have mobile abdomen. It's not useful in patients with decreased pulmonary compliance or increased airway resistance. It's most beneficial when used during the day, um, in addition to nocturnal, non-invasive, intermittent positive pressure ventilation. Inspiration may be supplemented by the use of available inspiratory muscles and or glossopharyngeal breathing. Negative and positive pressure body ventilation, such as rocking bed, uh, rocks the patient along a vertical axis of 15 to 30 degrees from the horizontal, uh, utilizing the force of gravity to assist ventilation. When the head of the bed is up, inspiration is assisted by the, using gravity to pull the diaphragm down. This creates a negative pressure. When the, with the head down, exhalation occurs or assist is obtained. Cephalad movement of the abdominal contents pushes the diaphragm up with the uh, production of positive pressure. It is used in patients with diaphragm paralysis and some accessory muscle function. The benefits are that it provides or prevents venous stasis, um, improves clearance of bronchial secretions, uh, weight shifting prevents development of pressure ulcers, and benefits uh, bowel motility. It's also easy to apply. Some disadvantages are that it's heavy and not portable, and not effective in patients with poor lung or chest wall compliance, or in those with increased airway resistance. External oscillation ventilator, or a HIAC oscillator, is another one to consider. With, it's just a flexible chest enclosure, or a cuirass, um, with external oscillating ventilator. The pressure change is developed between the cuirass and the chest wall. Negative pressure helps uh, the chest wall expansion and inspiration. Positive pressure causes chest compression and aids expiration. Inspiratory pressure is always negative, but the expiratory pressure can be adjusted po to positive, zero, or subatmospheric, uh, sub and negative. Um, by increasing the number of oscillations per minute, it may be used for secretion clearance. Uh, patients with decreased lung compliance may use this type of assistance. Negative pressure ventilators create intermittent extrathoracic pressure over the chest wall and, and abdomen, helping inspiration. Its main use is at night. It provides rest for fatigued respiratory muscles. Core pulmonale may be pre prevented. The patient may be able to function during the day without respiratory assistance. It's contraindicated in upper airway obstruction diseases, where it may increase the frequency and severity of airway collapse and obstruction during the night. This may lead to obstructive apnea and desaturation. It's not useful in children less than three years old due to recurrent pneumonia and atelectasis, and not useful in patients with excessive airway secretions. Examples include the tank ventilators, such as immersion iron lung or life care portal lung. The patient's entire body is enclosed in a chamber and produces intermittent subatmospheric pressure like an iron lung, or has separate negative pressure generator like a portal lung. The uses are for uh, management of, of respiratory failure, ventilatory support in patients with decreased pulmonary compliance, and significant scoliosis and severe infections. Wrap ventilators like a poncho or a pneumosuit can also be used. These are plastic grid that covers the abdomen and thorax. This wrap is sealed around the patient's wrist, neck, and abdomen, abdomen or legs. Um, a negative pressure ventilator creates subatmospheric pressure under the grid and wrap. It provides greater volumes. Um, it's only used for nocturnal assisted ventilation. Its uses include beneficial in patients with scoliosis or with sensory deficits. And disadvantages are that it's difficult to don. It has decreased access to the body by the medical personnel and has difficulty to turn the patient. Um, you also have a cuirass or chest shell ventilator. A firm shell, this is a firm shell that covers the chest and abdomen and is attached to a negative pressure ventilator that generates a subatmospheric pressure under the shell. 
It's the only uh, NPBV, or negative pressure body ventilator, that can be used during the day for ventilatory support in the seated position. Advantages that the patient can get on and off without assistance, and disadvantages are um, in an insensate patient, it can cause pressure ulcers around the area anterior to the axilla. It's not effective in patients with uh, complete respiratory paralysis, impairments in uh, pulmonary compliance, patients with apnea, uh, patients with intrinsic lung disease, and severe back deformity or morbid obesity. Okay, moving on to management of obstructive sleep apnea. In general, uh, there's a retropharyngeal muscle relax and block the airway, and the risk factors include obesity, neck circumference greater than 17 inches, hypertension, narrowed airways, chronic nasal congestion, diabetes mellitus, being male, black, Hispanic, or Pacific Islander, uh, menopause, family history, smoking, and use of alcohol or sedatives. For treatment for milder obstructive sleep apnea, typically lifestyle changes and weight loss as well as smoking cessation. You also want to have the avoidance of alcohol and tranquilizers like sleeping pills that can relax the muscles then cause interference with breathing. You also want to sleep on your side or abdomen rather than on your back. And if suffering from nasal congestion, you can use uh, saline nasal spray. Decongestants used for short term may be uh, permitted for short term only. Uh, for moderate to severe obstructive sleep apnea, continuous positive airway pressure, or CPAP, is the preferred method to treat obstructive sleep apnea. Oil appliances, like an orthodontic splint that bridges the mandible and tongue forward, is helpful to maintain the hypopharynx open as, long as, uh, as a long-term resource. CPAP is more effective, but oral appliance may be easier to use. There's also surgical management with uh, uvulopalatopharyngeal pharyngeoplasty. Let's try that again. Uvulopalatopharyngeoplasty, effective in 50% of patients. There's also a maxillomandibular advancement, tracheostomy, um, and implants that can keep the soft palate open like a pylor procedure. The use of independently varying inspiratory uh, positive airway pressure like IPAP and expiratory positive airway pressure, EPAP ventilators, uh, also called BiPAP, is uh, very effective on patients with hypercapnia and those of severe disease requiring high pressures or those intolerant of CPAP. The greater the difference between IPAP and EPAP, the greater the inspiratory muscle assistance. To allow for an adequate fit, custom molded nasal uh, interference may be provided. The, the portable volume ventilators may be used in morbidly obese patients or patients who require high peak ventilator pressure. Then you have invasive ventilatory support. Um, invasive ventilation utilizing tracheal intubation is uh, used when non-invasive methods fail and are contraindicated in patients with respiratory insufficiency. Tracheal intubation or tracheostomy is indicated when uh, the ABGs show PiO2 of less than 55 and PCO2 of greater than 50. Uh, COPD and restrictive lung disease patients may need intubation for other reasons. A uh, non-invasive mechanical uh, ventilator does not deliver oxygen adequately due to poor access to oral or nasal roots, like orthopedic conditions and osteogenesis imperfecta, inadequate bite or mouthpiece entry, as well as presence of a nasogastric tube or upper airway obstruction. Uh, severe intrinsic pulmonary disease requiring high frequency of inspired oxygen. Um, <clears throat> Also, uh, you may need intubation for inadequate or pharyngeal muscle strength, like inability to maintain airway. Um, uncontrolled seizures or substance abuse causing airway compromise. Assisted peak flow, uh, less than 160 liters per minute, when mechanical exsufflator is not available or contraindicated. Unreliable access to assisted cough and uh, depressed cognitive status. 
Tracheal intubation with tracheostomy tube. Uh, the choice of tracheostomy tube depends on the patient and the duration of use. Tracheostomy tubes have various features that are important to know. Uh, metal versus plastic material, cuff versus cuffless, and fenestrated versus unfenestrated tubes. So metal versus plastic tra tracheostomy tubes, you have your metal or your Jackson or Hollinger. Uh, these cuffless, these are cuffless reusable tubes are made of stainless steel or silver. They cause less local irritation and tissue reaction as compared to plastic. They may be left in place longer and they help to keep the tracheostomy, excuse me, tracheostomy stoma open until the tracheostomy is not needed in patients who breathe spontaneously. Plastic include Bivona, Shiley, and Portex. Uh, these are disposable made of PVC, nylon, silicone, and Teflon, and they are available in single and double cannulated with or without cuff. Uh, cuffed versus uncuffed tracheostomy tubes. Cuffed tracheostomy tubes um, provide a good air seal. They protect lower airways from uh, aspiration and prevent air leaking uh, through the upper airway. Patients cannot speak with a cuffed tracheostomy um, while the cuff is inflated. There are two types, high pressure and low volume, which are no longer in use, and low pressure, high volume, which conform more to the shape of the trachea and inflate more uniformly. Uncuffed tracheostomy tubes uh, some patients may be able to talk while on mechanical ventilation. They should not be used in patients at risk for aspiration because it provides a loose fit. Uh, they are used after tracheostomy when a looser fit of the tube on the stoma is needed or to prevent subcutaneous emphysema. It's used in patients with increased secretions and should not be used in patients known to aspirate. Then you have fenestrated versus non-fenestrated tracheostomy tubes. Fenestrated tubes are good for patients who are able to speak and require only intermittent ventilatory assistance. A continuous inner cannula can be used with an outer fenestrated cannula. The fenestration should lie within the lumen of the trachea and should not touch the tracheal wall. They may develop uh, granulation tissue around the holes and become clogged with secretions. The inner cannula can be attached to a positive pressure ventilator. And when the inner cannula is out and the tube is plugged, the patient can breathe longer um, through the fenestrations and is able to phonate. This is possible because the air is directed through the upper respiratory tract. Non-fenestrated tubes are used in patients who require continuous mechanical ventilation or are unable to protect the airway during swallowing. If the patient wants to talk, a one-way uh, talking valve can be used on the tracheostomy tube. Uh, these devices open on inhalation and close during exhalation and, uh, to produce phonation. They are often complicated by increased secretions and should be used cautiously in patients with marginal respiratory reserve. Then you have talking tracheostomy tubes versus speaking valves. Uh, speaking tracheostomy tubes like a Portex uh, talk tube, a Bivona foam cuff and side port airway connector, and a communic trache um, are used in alert and motivated patients who require an inflated cuff for, an, for ventilation and who have intact vocal cords and the ability to mouth words. Airflow is through the glottis, um, supporting vocalization with airflow over the vocal cords. Uh, while maintaining a closed system for ventilation. Uh, talking trachs supply pressurized gas mixtures through a cannula that travels through the wall of the talking tube, then enters the trachea through the small holes and um, above the inflated cuff tube, or tube cuff, so that the patient can use the larynx to speak while the cuff is inflated, thus leaving mechanical ventilation undisturbed. The quality of speech is altered with lower pitch and coarser, Patients need to speak shorter sentences because constant flow through the vocal cords can cause the voice to fade away. The patient requires some manual dexterity and minimal strength to occlude the external ports. Uh, One-way speaking valves like a passing mirror valve or Olympic trach talk 
uh, can also be considered a passive mirror valve. It is the only valve that is uh, that has a biased closed port uh, position. Um, opens only on inspiration. The other valves are all open at all times until they are actively closed during expiration, when enough force is placed. The air is directly uh, the air is directed into the trachea and up through the vocal cords, creating speech as it passes through the oral and nasal chamber. It requires less work. Um, opening and closing the valve is not needed. Indications are uh, the patient is alert, awake, and attempting to communicate, medically stable, able to exhale sufficiently and efficiently, and completely uh, around the tracheostomy tube and upper airway. They're able to tolerate complete cuff uh, deflation, and they're able to tolerate speaking valve trial. Uh, contraindications include um, unconscious or comatose patients, vocal cord paralysis, adducted position, inflated tracheostomy tube cuff of any kind, foam-filled cuffed tracheostomy tube, which may cause airway obstruction, severe airway obstruction with laryngeal stenosis and tracheal stenosis, unmanageable thick secretions, severe risk uh, for aspiration, severely reduced lung elasticity. You do not use the speaking valves of COPD patients because they cannot force air out due to uh, lack of lung compliance. And they do not, uh, you do not use during sleep. Also, you do not use with endotracheal tubes or other artificial airways. So speaking valve trial or a passing more valve trial, the cuff must be completely deflated for the PMV is on. Uh, failure to deflate can cause immediate respiratory distress. Uncuffed tracheostomy tube is recommended. Attached uh, pulse, uh, pulse oximeter should be used, and you want to assess vitals before, during, and after PMV placement, including oxygen saturation, heart rate, and respiratory rate. You want to monitor breathing sounds. Um, they should remain the same after the PMV placement. Uh, decreased breath sounds or prolonged expiratory phase indicate possible airway obstruction. Um, the patient's responsiveness, color, work of breathing, and secretion status should also be monitored. You want to slowly deflate tracheostomy tube cuff and allow patients to adjust to, to cuff deflation. And then you proceed with PMV attachment, which is in uh, the booklet that comes along with it. There's a chart here that goes over some of the uh, one-way speaking valves, uh, the characteristics. Um, I'm not going to go into details about that. That's something that you can look at on your own if you want. That's page 683. Um, tracheostomy suctioning can have the following complications, bleeding, infection, atelectasis, hypoxemia, cardiovascular instability, including dysrhythmias, and in extreme cases, cardiac arrest and death, elevated intracranial pressure, and cause lesions to the trachea and mucosa. Recommendations are to suction only when necessary. The suction catheter should occlude less than half the lumen of the endotracheal tube. You can insert the suction catheter no further than the carina and suction no longer than 15 seconds. Continuous suction rather than intermittent suction. Um, suctioning during the individual suction procedure, so you want to do continuous suction. Um, hyperoxygenate before and after suctioning procedure, which reduces the risk of arrhythmias. You want to avoid saline lavage. Um, you want to use either closed or open suction systems. A closed system may reduce the risk of infection and hypoxemia, and the universal precautions uh, should be used. Uh, you also want to use lowest possible suction pressure, usually 80 to 120 degrees millimeters of mercury. Guidelines for decannulation. Patients are ready for decannulation when they no longer need mechanical ventilation and can adequately clear airway secretions. Patients should be evaluated for aspiration risk. Patients should also be uh, able to cough secretions out of the tracheal tube. Uh, gradual cuff deflation allows weaning from the cuff to uncuffed trach. The cuffless trach is downsized to a smaller size and the patient evaluated for ability to cough secretions. When the patient does not need excessive suctioning and the outer diameter of the tracheal of the TT is eight millimeters, you may discontinue the trach or place a tracheal button temporarily. 
assuming stability of the underlying mechanical condition uh, that necessitated the tracheostomy initially. Tracheal buttons extend only the inner surface of the anterior tracheal wall without causing tracheal lumen obstruction. They are used when there's, um, <clears throat> when there's doubt about the success of the tracheostomy weaning. When plugged, the patient may breathe through the upper airway without resistance from the tracheostomy tube. A diaphragmatic pacer is another means of invasive ventilatory support and electrophrenic uh, respiration with the use of the diaphragmatic pacer in patients with intact phrenic nerves and diaphragm. This is discussed in detail um, in the spinal cord section. All right, and that's going to wrap up our discussion on pulmonary rehab.